Hi, my name is Marissa Klein. I'm the founder of Choice Fashion and Media and co-host of the career inspiration podcast, The Dreamcatchers. And I am Jamie Stozer, the other co-host of The Dreamcatchers and the VP of Fashion and Media at Choice Associates. Up next is a special edition of The Dreamcatchers. We've curated our favorite dreamers and doers for an inspirational conversation. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Almost afternoon. We prepped for a while, so we're getting closer to noon. Welcome back to the How It Works series here at Bellworks. We are back for 2021 for our February episode slash event. And we are thrilled to be here today with such a diverse group of people. Just happy to be back in the building. Every time I walk back in here, I feel light and airy and lovely. And I guess sunshine helps. And also warmer temperatures help us with that, too. As we said, it's been Miami here this yeah, week. Yeah, I'm like, I'll take 42 and sunny any day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know me, my name is Jamie uh, Stozer. I'm one half of the Dreamcatchers. We are your moderators for today. So thank you so much for being here. Today's theme is courage and inclusivity. Um, we fought a little bit with each other and ourselves and our minds about what we wanted to call today. You know, we were kind of going back and forth. If it's inclusivity, it's, if it's diversity, if it's, um, courage. And we decided to land on two of those words because I think what we will learn today from our guests is so much of being inclusive at the workplace has to do with being courageous. So, and, and being brave and working against norms. So we're really excited to talk to these guys today about what they do. And I'd like to have my sister be able to introduce herself as well. And then we'll have our guests introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Marissa Klein. Yes, the other half of the Dreamcatchers. I'm honored and privileged to be here today, um, both in, because it's just such a pleasure to be dressed and out and doing something what I used to describe as regular. Um, and to be surrounded by like-minded folk who were um, generous with their time because they're passionate about what they do. And that means that we're all cut from the same cloth. So it is not a coincidence that we're all sitting here today because anybody that feels extra about something usually lands on this couch. So, um, and I set intention of who I want to bring to the couch usually, and I'm usually successful. Um, and thank you to each of you for for honoring my uh, goals and being here today. And, and with that said, we like to have our panelists introduce themselves. So I think I'd like to start here on my left. Go for it. Hi, I'm Stephanie Cartier, co-founder of No Limits Cafe along with my husband, Mark. And we are a lunch cafe in Middletown, New Jersey that employs adults with intellectual disabilities. And thank you for having me. And the food's delicious. Thank you. It is. <laughs> we talked about this before, but for those of you in Monmouth County that were looking for chocolate, hot chocolate bombs during November and December, No Limits Cafe blew up my Facebook feed. And she was telling us today that she was there until midnight some nights trying to get these together. So I, I can't wait to hear your whole story. But that's how I first really learned about what you were doing. And then I was able to dig deeper and realize, you know, the, the magic that you're making. But I was like, wow, I guess I can get my bombs there. Um, I never was able to. You were always sold out. But anyway, I'm very happy to have you here today. Obviously on my list to talk to Stephanie about after this. <laughs> how do you yeah. make them at home? No, yeah. No. Ordering them from her. Go ahead. 
Well, thank you, ladies, for having me on this platform. I'm excited to be here. My name is Orly Lin, and I am the Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity at Commvault. We are a local organization, tech company, uh, in Tintin Falls. So I'm really excited to be here. This is my first time at Bellworks, uh, and I'm just excited about the conversation we're going to be having, the people around this platform. And uh, yeah, let's get this started. Orly, I might have to add that I'm really loving that you introduced a little pink. You know, pink is power. On Thursdays, we wear pink. Is? Okay. All right. That's an iconic comment from a movie that it was not inclusive, but it was Wednesdays. (laughs) It is Wednesdays. Oh, well. And it's Thursday. But I like the spring. I like the spring intention there. I am looking forward to it. And Andre actually picked up what you were putting down. Yeah, a little lighter colors. I love it. Into the warm weather outside. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Um, so thank you for having me as well. Uh, my name is Andre Benjamin. I am a SVP of Finance and Strategy at Vidya. Uh, Vidya is right here in Bell Works. Uh, we are a technology company that essentially helps to power the back end of, of music labels. So we help to enable uh, independent agents and labels run their back end with distribution, payments, uh, working capital, playlist support, all those things so that they can focus on what they do best, which is being creative and, and making great music. Um, I personally oversee all of finance, strategy, uh, human resources, as well as our legal department. Awesome. Our second video guest. We've had some video folk before. Yep. Tim. You had Tim. Um, we met Tim at the career fair here at Bellworks, yep. and yep. we've had a great relationship with him since. He was on a couple of our episodes and did a resume workshop with us for yep. our for our community. So thank you for being here and representing Vidya and the beautiful Bellworks building. We're happy to have you. I haven't been back in a little while. We're still remote. So it's nice. I'm glad to have have brought you back here. I love it. Welcome home. Yeah. Thank you. And I guess I'll follow. You will follow that. (laughs) Very hard to follow all these amazing people. Ladies, so glad to see you, meet you in person. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Bolanli williams Ali. I am the Chief Financial Officer and part owner of Mancini Duffy, which is a tech-first um, design firm. I think we also did Comvault. Asides Bell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we do. Um, Mancini is based out of New York. It's a hundred plus year old design firm. So I'm very uh, fortunate to be part of such legacy. Uh, I am also a serial solution seeker. That's what I like to call myself, which is why I get along with these amazing ladies. Uh, I have several impact organizations that have formed over the years. I have a whole She Builds movement. I have She Builds Lives, which is my nonprofit. She Builds Waves, which is my women's initiative for women in the built industry. I have She Builds Money, which I don't think, uh, I don't know if you talked about. I feel like that's new. Yeah, She Builds Money is new. She Builds Money is for small design firms, um, a financial solutions company for small design firms within the industry. And I have reached Nigeria, a slew of things going on. Aside that, I'm a mom of two, and I love to throw amazing theme parties. She's not, she doesn't, she doesn't sleep often. I sleep all the time, all the time. (laughs) I will not be able to do any of these things if I didn't sleep. We actually need to talk. I have a 10-year-old theme party that I know my wife is trying to plan. Done, done, sold. Great idea for you. Sold. Thank you so much for having me. She, I love by the way, you're par- she's underselling the party piece because she did like a, sure. a lemonade 
a lemonade, literally make your own <laughs> lemonade and took the theme yes. and ran with it. And then I saw, she told me about it. And then I happened to see it in a magazine. Like I happened to see it, me perusing at my kitchen counter. <laughs> One of my five minutes that I have to Maurice myself, a like, magazine. I'm like, wait a minute, this is familiar. And sure enough, I'm like, I saw you in a magazine. And I was very proud. Anyways, thank you, thank you. Very old my, school to see something in a magazine. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it was for my daughter's um, graduation from kindergarten. So very cute, nice. I love it. Well, thank you guys for being here. Obviously, as you all see, we have such a diverse group of panelists today. We're so excited to dig in with you guys about this super important topic. One of the things, though, that we like to begin and really the, what defines our brand, the Dreamcatchers, is figuring out how you got here and what you, you know, obviously you're all very senior level players at what you're doing. You've lived many a life before. So we like to kind of dig in as to how that began. And our favorite question, which we've heard from Bola before, but we'll hear again, is what did you want to be when you grew up? Was that, you know, first memory? of what you wanted to be. And our favorite thing to do is make some sort of correlation between what you thought you wanted to do and what you're doing now. And whether that's the exact opposite or something that, you know, essentially put you on this journey. So we don't have to go in the same order. Yeah. Feel free to, to chime in at any point, but maybe we'll, let's start with Andre. Andre, what did you, what is <laughs> your the first earliest thing you memory? Mem remember wanting to be when you grew up? So there's probably, two pieces to that. So I was a competitive tennis player growing up. So played from the time I was nine years old and ultimately rose to playing division one tennis at Georgetown University. Whoa. Heard of it. Heard so of it. I wanted Can you hear to, him okay, by the way? Okay, great. So I wanted to, uh, I originally wanted to be a professional tennis player is what I thought. Um, but if tennis did not work out, I always thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, because I love debating and I, I, I hated losing arguments as a kid. So uh, I went through school and then I realized that lawyers are always reading and the law never stops changing. And it was just, I was like, that doesn't sound that attractive to me, but uh, I do like the problem solving. And so I, I ended up in the world of finance to continue to understand how to build businesses and solve problems. And so that's kind of how I continued down the path I was on. Um, I spent 14 years at Goldman Sachs, most of that as an equity research analyst. Again, analyzing companies, analyzing the stock market, figuring out which industries were gonna grow, where they were headed. Uh, and then ultimately I realized that uh, I was tired of focusing on the short-term nature of stock picking and opining on what other management teams were doing and whether I thought they were doing a good job. And I wanted to take that strategic insight and capabilities and actually go build a business and, and be involved on the other side. And so I left to run M&A strategy for a company called CoStar. Um, but then when I didn't want to move to DC, that's how I got introduced to Roy Lamana, the CEO of Vidya. Uh, and I came on board to help with the strategy of Vidya. I love that story. Do you so still it's play like tennis you, on the side. That's our, that's I my do. question. Okay. When, when my knee and back, I'm getting older, so okay. those things start peaking up. But I do still play as much as I can on the weekends. I love it. So Marissa likes to make this this analogy, but we talk often to you know student athletes that end up you know obviously not becoming a professional tennis player. Yeah. But there is something that you learn by being a competitive athlete yes. that becomes part of who your, you know, your DNA as a, as a leader. And I think that's something that we could probably correlate. You know, that's something that we love to do when we're talking to new grads, for example, who 
don't know if they should put that on their resume, for example. Yep. Like, do I need to put all this tennis on my resume? And we always say 100% yes, yes. Because that not only is a talking point with the person you're interviewing with, because they could be like, oh, I also played tennis. Or, oh, my gosh, I almost went to Georgetown. Yep. So can you speak to that a little bit about how tennis and what you thought you wanted to do is actually a little bit part of who you are now? So I also believe in the value of, of sports and young athletes. Um, I think it can implement in many different things, but ultimately, it, like my children, I, I impress that they have to play sports as well, not just because I want them to be athletes, but because I think it breeds discipline. It teaches you how to chase a dream, how to set a goal, how to work towards that goal and practice and see progress. And accept disappointment. And that, that's exactly what team, I was getting team to. Team playing. Learn, learning how to lose, learning how to pick yourself up after those losses. I, mm -hmm. I say all the time, all the stars you see on TV, whether it's Roger Federer, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, unfortunately, was in an accident recently. Yeah. They all lose. And yeah. they have to come back and realize what it takes to go back to the drawing board and work harder and try to win the next time, as opposed to so many get dejected by those losses and they feel defeated and they go, oh, I'm not very good at this. And they move on to something else as opposed to persevering and going back to figure out how to get better at it. I think, I mean, having played tennis myself, um, which I, I didn't letter because of a long story, but we'll talk about it later. Um, I'm not bitter about it or I don't carry it with me to this day. Um, but it had something to do with not being courageous in a time where I wasn't included. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. Uh, that's actually a really we're, interesting thing. We're going to get thing. to the story before we're done. I, I think you should say it. I actually, think you should talk should about we it. unpack it right now? Yes. I, I think they just wanted um, me it, to ask. You know, <laughs> you realize the amount of work that everyone's put in, right? Because what was normal 25 years ago was normal. And it wasn't because it wasn't normal. We just didn't have the tools, the language, or the courage to make it less challenging. So I played tennis, and I happened to go to high school at a, in a year or a time where the, the varsity team was very young. So it was all sophomores. They were phenomenal, and we were like number one um, in our district. So I didn't get to, to go out for varsity until they were graduating. So I didn't get to do it. I had to play JV that whole time because there were no spots on the varsity team because they were all literally first rung. It just happened to be a really heavy... Um, talented group and the year that I was going out for varsity which I guess would have been my fall of my senior year finally um, I was a, a first doubles player and the tryouts conflicted with Rosh Hashanah and or Yom Kippur and I was told by the teacher and the coach that if I did not show up I wouldn't make the team and I took a stand and didn't go. By the way, we, Jamie and I were not raised religious or observant. Um, but, but those we, are the but holidays are the you days do observe. That, like if you're going to throw, throw your Jewishness in the ring, <laughs> like those are the days Shana to do it. the only day so, I like yeah, really I'm need like, to be Jewish. I'm to be Jewish today. <laughs> so P.S. I took a stand on it. And I took it to the this is not right. director. It's not okay. And everyone squished me. And I did not make the team. And I didn't let her. And you know what? P.S.? It, I'm crying. It's, it's, gro it's gross. It's so sad. It was gross. Yeah, it's, it's really terrible. And there she I doesn't was. talk about that, no, that much. No, because I, I really realized, I mean, granted, 
FYI, the, the coach and the athletic director ended up paying their dues in really unpleasant ways later on, so <laughs> it's fine. Um, but the story is an example that I share when it comes to courageous conversation yep. and inclusivity because it's not always, it's not always based on um, what we can see, right? So, you know, I might fit the part uh, uh, of certain things that are challenging in our cultures, but I didn't. I didn't. And I, I, I suffered because of it. So anyway, the fact that you played, I'm sorry, his story was so awesome, but the fact that you played at Georgetown, <laughs> I'm like, as a tennis player, I'm like fully sweating. It's fine. Um, it's fine. And I miss playing tennis, and there's that. So they, they say it's a sport of a lifetime. It there's is nothing, a sport. My son, my son is not Thank very goodness. athletic, and he is re like on the paper traditional athletic, and has really taken to to tennis, and it's making me so happy because I yeah. think he's loving it, and he doesn't really love sports, and it's a it's sport that he can love, which is so important. But and it makes sense with a finance mind. He's good at math. It just goes to show you. So is Sam. That's what I was so that, say yeah, so is my son. He was, he was a debater. He liked to argue, right? Or he liked yeah. to f finish an argument, yeah. which would make sense because he was directing. He knew how to think about his opponent. He knew how to, where to put direct his serve. Things like, to stay like, in the lines. You know, constantly sure. trying to out wit yeah, your you're opponent. out there by yourself it's it's one of yes. the only sports where you don't have any input from a coach trying nope. to help you see what's going on you're, you're out there exactly problem solving and it's no shock that in life i was a doubles player like i needed she needed a, a little jamie <laughs> in her life i was not her partner at no. that time but now i am no anyways um, okay well let's move off of andre but that's lovely and also very good example of how something you wanted to do when you were young is kind of so much a part of your fabric now. Yep. I love that. Okay, so Orly, can you tell us a little bit about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, it, it's so funny because as I was prepping for this event, I just, it brought me back to such great memories. Um, and as a little girl, I wanted to be a journalist. And I remember my, you know, sixth grade teacher, Mr. Sievers, who was my English teacher, who was like super supportive of what I wanted to do and encouraged me and said, I want you to go ahead and reach out to the journalist that you see yourself in most. And I did that at that time, and I'm gonna be dating myself here. It was on Channel 5, Cora Ann Mahalik. Love. And I reached out to her and said, I would love to be a journalist. This is my passion. I wanna learn more about you. And she called me. She wow. sent me, she, I sent her this letter. She called me, and this is way before cell phones. Right? She left you a message on your parents' answer. No, yeah. called me, and I was home after three o'clock. Yeah. You were watching an after school and special. And I was watching an after school special <laughs> when I should have been doing my homework. Yep. And I answered the phone, and it was Cora and Mahalik. You're like, hold on, let me it. just put down my snack well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shall we go on? Up. Sorry. My fruit roll up. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, and, and we started having this conversation, and it was amazing because for the first time, I felt like whatever it was I wanted to do or I would end up doing in life was not going to be impossible. Yeah. Now, obviously, I am in inclusion and diversity. I'm a diversity practitioner. I did not follow through with journalism, but I am, I'm inquisitive. I love working with people. I sit in a role where I am helping people be their authentic selves and helping organizations shape the way we look at how to be authentic in the workplace. So I am in a seat where I'm constantly talking, where I'm asking questions, where I am challenging the status quo, 
And although it is in journalism, it is in my own way how I communicate and how I help others to communicate in the workplace. So long story short, you know, I, you know, a lot like yourself, Andre, I was in financial services right out of college and I was in financial services, gosh, for about 13 years and then decided, you know, I was in front office and I said, you know, I, my passion really and truly is, again, people. How do I get there? And I intentionally made a shift from financial services, especially in, in front office and dealing with um, top level of executives to really saying, I want to deal with them. I want to work with the people. I want to make an impact in people's lives and in organizations from a human capital perspective, mm -hmm. not so much about money. And so I made an intentional shift much later on in my life. And, uh, and here I am. And I get, I, it has been the most amazing ride. I love what I do. Um, I did it all while also being a single mom to my wonderful 23-year-old son who's in college now and about to graduate from Brooklyn College. So I'm excited. Amazing. And I'm so proud of him. Um, you know, it, it, and it was a journey. I had to do a few things and take a few steps back in my career, in my growth, in finding where it was I wanted to be. So I came to my career a lot later than most, um, to the point where my dream always was to go back to school, get a master's degree, which I had to put off for a very long time because I was paying for private school since pre-K. And, um, you know, as soon as my son went off to college, I said, I will help pay for one year of college. And then you've got to take it on because mom wants to go back to school. And that's what I did. I intentionally decided to really make a shift and focus on going back and finishing my master's degree. And I am one class away from completing my master's degree at Harvard. So I'm excited. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think great. Bola's is going to have to plan you a party. <laughs> what did you get your master's in? I'm getting it in management Amazing. with a concentration in organizational development. Good and from you. what school? I'm sorry, I didn't hear Harvard. you. Oh, I just wanted you to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That's yeah. wonderful. So I'm Congratulations it, it, and, and it just goes to show, right, when we're talking about what career looks like, what journey looks like, you know, it, it didn't, I would have never imagined this. But one thing I did always know as a young girl was that I had a drive. I didn't know where I was going to go, where that was going to take me, but I wasn't ever afraid of challenging things and challenging people and stepping outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, and as a woman of color, as a Latina, you know, it, I come from a background where it's like, keep your head down, do good work, you know, and what was expected of me was not what I'm doing. And so to be able to challenge that outside of my culture, outside of what my parents um, perhaps expectation of me was, and even the schools that I went to, right, it was like really making my dreams and whatever it was I wanted to do exactly that. And so I'm, it, it didn't turn out how I wanted to, a lot like Andre, right? But the ride has been amazing and I wouldn't change not one step in the process. I think we need to bottle you up. Yeah. <laughs> right? I actually, she's like, she's a fragrance. I do. I, also, I'm still hung up on the fact that you have a 23-year-old son, but yes. perhaps I need to wear a mask forever <laughs> just so that I can be doing whatever's well, going on there's some lines under here. Okay. And, and, and gray Andre, hairs. Andre, too. Andre looks like he's 17 right now. He just got off the tennis court. Okay. <laughs> a fascinating crew. Okay. No pressure. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm guessing that what you, what you wanted to be when you grew up is not what you're doing now, but I'd love to see how that you correlates. Correct. Um, well, I always wanted to be a nurse, and that's what 
my plan was. And um, at, during high school, my senior year, I applied to, I wanted to go to Seton Hall School of Nursing, and I got in. But at Seton Hall, you had to live 18 miles as the crow flies, which he flies through backyards, they had this whole circle um, to get on-campus housing. And I was the first of six kids. And my father said, no way, you're living off campus. Any college you go to, you're, you're living on campus. You're not living in Orange. You are living on campus. So I couldn't go because I lived 18 miles away. Meanwhile, it took an hour and a half to get there from my house, but not the crow. And so I <laughs> Not the crow. So I, meanwhile, I just want to say, the sixth kid, my parents would have dropped off on the streets anywhere while the car was moving and said, get out. Marissa <laughs> says that about me, and there's only two of us. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up going to my safety school, which at the time was Ryder College. It's Ryder sure. University yeah. now. Yeah. And, I, you know, I heard this saying today that when I was also prepping for, for today, it, it made me think... Um, you know the saying, everything happens for a reason, which I don't always love that one, but everything happens is a new opportunity, everything that happens. So, of course, I didn't think of it then. I didn't want to go to Ryder College, but I went, I had a great time, and I met my husband, and I worked on Wall Street for 11 years, and um, I, t until I had my first child, I was lucky enough that I got to stay home, and I stayed home, and it, I had three children, and my youngest child has Down syndrome, Katie. And... Um, so her whole life has been amazing. And I actually feel badly for people that don't have someone like her in their life because it really changed mine and my husband's perspective. Like I could have seen myself being a tiger mom to my other two kids. And now I realize that the most important thing in life is not how much money you make, not where you go to school. Although I am super impressed, I have no, to no. say. And, <laughs> but it's that you're happy at whatever it is that you do and that you're happy in life. So that being said, through my daughter's life, there was a lot of fighting with school systems to get her included, which I have to say did not really happen because it was too hard and there was too much fear on my part. And um, I was a co-leader of our school district's uh, special learners um, parent group for eight years and what we ended up doing was making changes in the school system that accommodated people that were in a self-contained class that were not included so it looked more like a regular high school program if you will and so that you when you have special needs you can stay in school until you're 21 years old so when katie turned 18 my husband and i were like oh my gosh what's going to happen when she's 21 because there are no not a lot of opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities there's hardly any jobs not a lot of people hire them there's very limited college programs there's a lot of day programs which are great but that's not what we wanted for katie and um so we tried to, we started thinking about something we could do, you know, when we had three years and they, you know, what do they say? Um, the, uh, the day is long, but the years are short. Mm -hmm. And um, we had to figure out something and everything we thought of only helped Katie. And in Monmouth County, there are many, many other people with intellectual disabilities in the same boat. So we said, okay, what about a restaurant? And we've never worked in a restaurant, my husband or I. We eat in them, but that's, that's really was our experience. And um, uh, Lester Holt had done a, um, on 
the nightly news, I think it's called. He, at the end, he always does a little segment on something positive in the country. And he did one on a place uh, called Hugs Cafe in Texas. I in saw the that. Dallas I saw area. that too. I saw that too. And just coincidentally, I saw, I saw it too. And I never even watched the news at night. And um, it was meant that to be. That wasn't a coincidence. No, I know. Yeah, it was meant to be. So we got in touch with them. And they were a restaurant that, also, that did what my husband and I were talking about. So we went to Texas. We worked in the restaurant. We volunteered. We met with their board to see if it is something that we could do here. Because it's very different here and there. And um, we realized there it could be done anywhere. And we sat on a curb in McKinney, Texas, saying, okay, this is going to be our name. This is going to be our website. This is going to blah, 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 blah. And then from there, here we are. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Opening Stephanie. two and a half weeks before the pandemic. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, that is wow. some story. And I can't wait to hear more about that mm. because that is incredible. And I, I know I'm crying too. Yeah. I cry at every every single panel, but like that in particular just uh -huh. made me well up because that's such such a special thing. And I think one of the things our dad, who's our CEO, always says because he's such an entrepreneur, and Marissa and I have always been that way and always wanted to start things. And she's had several side hustle businesses, and so have I. And we're finally on this path now where we're building something together. Is that you know see a need, fill a need, right? You saw something that wasn't happening for your own child, something that affected you and you made it happen. And that is the most successful type of business or idea is something that is addressing something that's not otherwise happening for you or for the people that you love. And I, I, think that's I also want to add that he, he and our staff were very um, ahead of their time. Agreed. And we put a lot of people with special needs to work in the New York City systems um, in all different types of jobs for many years through um, our organizations that fed we into part. choice. There was an organization called FEGS that we supported for a long time where they put people with special needs into jobs that they could manually do. Um, we also have an interpreter division where we put people to work with um, hearing impaired where they can do sign language. And you, you just realize when you really stop and if it doesn't affect you, if you really stop and absorb like from Katie's mom's perspective, the amount that is not out there, it's actually mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, especially so the in this day and age. The fact that you've created a space. I've, I saw the article in the paper, and I've been stalking you ever since. Sorry. Um, <laughs> because I just I felt... a stalker. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pleasant. I'm pleasant. Um, and I, I just feel so tremendously inspired by your local... Um, organic, self-made passion project. So anyways, sorry. Good for you. And I cried. Anyway, how do, I don't know how you finish after that, although you are a hustler like no other. I can't. Yes, she can. Yes, you can. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. So just quickly to touch on that, because I have um, a niece and a nephew that um, are both autistic. Well, one slightly, he's fine. It was just social, so he's doing much better. But the, um, our niece is, um, you know, she's not audible, just a few words. So just to hear about opportunities that can be created for her later on. I know her parents think about this all the time because she just turned eight, but they're already like planning for life after, you know, when she's an adult and what that could look like for her. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just great to hear about your story and what you've done and just really shout out to you because I'm, my mom is a single mom. I'm from Nigeria having, you know, she sent me here to college. So I, I always have a soft spot for 
single moms. And Andre, thank you so much for sharing your story also. Everybody's truly inspiring. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, so my story, let me see. What did I... So I think the very first thing that I remember I wanted to be when I uh, grew up was a linguist. That's one. Remember? Very random. I was obsessed or fascinated by languages, especially coming from Nigeria, where we speak 200 and, uh, 250 different languages. So in the high school I went to, your next, the next person, um, you know, next to you was from a different region. Like we were all very, it was like a melting pot, but a melting pot of different languages of which Interestingly, I don't even speak fluently our language <laughs> because in high school or in our schools, because we were so diverse, everyone was from different parts. They only had to speak one language so that everybody understood each other. Sure. But I remember being very fascinated by like, where do languages come? How do people speak different things? Um, so that's one. The second thing that really that now I'm thinking about it, you know, maybe a little bit older was wanting to be a doctor because I wanted to care for people. I, I just like people. I want to take care of them. Then in high school, I took biology and I was like, nope, <laughs> I am not. <laughs> yep. You know, um, by elimination. Um, but you'll see how, you know, those two things, I guess, tie a lot into the things that I do now. Um, and then in our high school, really quickly, I'll, I'll speed through, but in our high school, right, you were either a science student or math student, uh, sorry, an art student, and I knew I wasn't going the arts route, so I did sciences. Um, but fortunately, I think in, so our SS2 is like 11th grade here. My math teacher realized that um, I had an affinity for math, and, I, and math was something that I always loved from little. But he was like, no, like, you're really good. <laughs> You can like, you know, take part. I love these shout outs to our teachers, by the yeah, way. I just need to yeah, say probably. I'm obsessed with teachers in general, but like obviously right now, next level obsessed with teachers and the work they're doing. Yeah. But I love that two of our panelists have talked about a sixth grade or 10th grade, 11th yeah, grade yeah. experience with a teacher. Unbeknownst to teachers, unbeknownst, they are a lot of them are earth impact. angels. Yes. They yes. guide yes. our feet. They yeah. are on our paths for reasons. Speaking yeah. up, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, and because you know they they probably they interact with you all the time, right? During the you're you're in connection with them, so they see you and see what you're capable of. Anyway, so this one teacher had told me, "Oh, you're really good at math. You know, take the we'll sign you up for the competitions, whatever the case may be." I, I did sign up, and I did not do that well <laughs> because there were other kids that were just much more smarter than I was then, but. That stuck with me, right? So when it was time to come to, to apply to college, my mom wanted me to come here. My mom went to Rutgers. Um, mm -hmm. My mom was an accountant by, by training. So I knew I did not want to be an accountant. So my whole path is just incredible. It's so serendipitous that I'm now where I am. But one thing I knew for sure was that I wasn't going to do accounting. Anyways, um, wanting to come to college, it's like, okay, what are you going to study? And I had an uncle that was like, oh, you should do computer engineering, right? So this is uh, 2000. And I think, you know, for us in Nigeria, computer science, computer engineering, all of that stuff was just really picking up. All the interest was happening. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll do computer engineering since my uncle asked me to do it. I get to Hunter College. <laughs> I take physics the first. I'm a, I'm a Hunter graduate too. Oh. Undergrad. See? See? Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah. I went to Hunter. Um, I I take uh, physics, right? So remember, I said I ruled out biology for medicine. I take physics. <laughs> I'm like, nope. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. And so 
picture me, you know, so many thousands of miles away from my mom, who's back in Nigeria, who's paying for college, right? Mm -hmm. So there's exchange rate and out-of-state tuition. (laughs) I pick up the phone to call her to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to study computer engineering anymore. I actually really love math. And Hunter has an applied math program. I had no clue how I was going to use that applied math program to land in corporate or, you know, in like an industry. But I was like, it's going to allow me um, get a job, um, you know, in, in some financial. Ser- I don't know what I told her, but I said enough to convince her to let me switch my major. So I said, I'll do math as, um, as my major, come sci as my minor. I'll, you know, I'll just figure it out. All I knew then was that I really liked math. Um, fast forward the five years, I finished my bachelor's and master's. And as an international student, you need to find a company to file for you. Simple. <laughs> and I did not do any internships, right? Because I didn't really know where I was going to end up. I didn't really know where to land. I applied for financial services um, internships. I did not get it. I was not, um, I was very shy then. I wasn't able to speak and communicate my value. Um, however, I remember, I, I remember this day vividly. I was in the computer lab and I had pulled up New York Times classified, right? There was no Indeed, no LinkedIn, none of that stuff then. And there was a job opening for a junior project accountant at an architectural firm. Now let's go back to high school. I took technical drawing one term and I was like, oh, Technical drawing I took in high school, architecture. This might be interesting to work in this industry. I applied and here we are now 14 years later. I have now made a career within finance (laughs) in the industry. But I remember three years ago or not, well, almost four years ago when I became controller, I called my mom and I was like, oh, I'm now, you know, I'm not, I'm taking on this controller role. And she was in control, uh, controller position was her last job before she left, you know, the corporate world. And it was so funny because I struggled so much not to do what she did. And, and like Marissa and I, <laughs> my dad's been a recruiter his whole life. He's like, now you're going to be a recruiter. Yeah, right. <laughs> we figured it out. You figure out what's in your blood and what you're meant to do. Yeah. I just don't think you're 17 thinking like, oh, I want to be a controller when I grow up. No, yeah, no. You don't even know what that means. You, know, no. you have to go through some of those I things. No, no clue. The only reason why I would know that was because that was her title. But similar to Andre, right? The, the math, um, Having that math background and finding my way, I I could basically work anywhere because it's more about problem solving. It's more about thinking outside of the box. It's more about how do you apply strategy to to whatever it is that you want to do. So I could have ended up anywhere, but I ended up in this, um, you know, incredible industry, worked at amazing companies um, and now have found my home at Mancini. You know, like I said, um, this one immigrant girl who was able to have ownership in um, a hundred plus year old firm. For me, I'm blown. I'm like, I'm like watching my, <laughs> my life real happen. I'm like, is this my life? Um, but I'm very grateful, very fortunate for where I am now. And I'm excited um, for the things to come. Along the way, you know, I've done several things, right? There's a lot of, um, I'm big on community. I'm big on helping people, which is probably where the wanting to be a doctor early on ties in, right? I do a lot of work still in Nigeria for, for children in low-income communities. And so I just see it flow through my, my life trajectory. 
I love these stories. Me too. And honestly, this is what we started our podcast to do is to interview people about their story and how you landed where you are. And we could talk about this part of you all day. Well, because at the Um, end of the day, regular people, which for better or for worse, we are, we're regular people, are fascinating. And we don't get Academy Awards for being amazing. Mm -hmm. And barely do we get accolades. So um, I think of moments like these as the validating, collaborative, important moments. And it's a safe space to share, both privately amongst us and then publicly amongst our audiences collectively, to show that being a regular person is actually just as important, if not more, than being what a lot of younger people idolize, which, you know, how you use your voice and how you make your impact in your life is just as important no matter who you are, right? So... With that said, and that there isn't one prescribed way to do it either. Exactly. Right? There There's is. Some, like you listen to all of these amazing stories here, which I'm blown away by and love just how vulnerable everyone has come to this platform. Yep. But I think the true message is there is no one prescribed way to how you get no. to whatever that and what thing success defi- what yeah. defines success to, to you exactly. exactly exactly and that i think is a, a perfect segue into the tone of the conversation now that we know your histories your stories you know each of us um and i've shared my my where i would tongue in cheek joke about how i didn't let her in tennis but really was something where i suffered and I probably have a few, several other ones, but they're not as relevant to what we're talking about today. But I've suffered from not feeling like I fit the mold, not knowing how to assimilate, you know, whether it's being a working mother in an industry that, um, or being a company run by family, but yet didn't understand my need for flexibility, which was the, I mean, we joke about it to this day with my father, but he finally gets it after a year in a pandemic. Um, but the struggle was real. And because I was related to him, it was actually worse. Um, so we didn't have that HR balance at our firm. And we didn't work in an industry that really allowed you to be at work less than everybody else. Um, so there's a lot of different things that I, as far as being courageous and being included, I've definitely felt in my life, um, certainly in the fashion industry, without question, of... of <laughs> I'll say belovedly a fake news yeah. <laughs> inclusive or <laughs> industry. Um, so, but I, I feel I'd love to hear how each of you um, respond to our words. I mean, obviously, Orly, you've made a career out of it. Um, and how you lead with light for others and um, uh, embark on your day to day, including the words inclusivity and um, courage. Maybe Andre, can we start with you? I mean, you've worked, you had, um, you worked in very traditional spaces. Um, I, I celebrate for you personally while I'm hearing that you went from financial services and now you're in like a, a music focused company. That's um, literally what we try to, yeah. you know, preach often to our candidates that come in about their resumes is to figure out a place where you can marry your passion to your profession. And work with it's, your heart. Yeah, it's it's very challenging to do. And that's what I think, especially this generation coming up behind us is so fascinated and intrigued and inspired. They might by. actually be able to do it from the beginning. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. And to be they able might. to, you know, a good friend of mine actually remind me of her storyline. She started in accounting. She was working for one of the big four doing auditing and traveling to Minneapolis to like do a, an auditing project. 
And she finally got to a point where she's like, I don't want to do this for other companies anymore. I want to do this for something I'm passionate about. And now has been working for Sirius Radio in their accounting division for many years and was able to make that shift to be like, if I'm going to do numbers, and which I love, I want to do it for something I'm passionate about, which is entertainment. So now she's doing that, which is a hard path. But I'd love to hear from you a little bit about what it's taken for you and also what you bring to your, you know, your current role. Um, and, you know, your title is not a diversity, you know, title the way that Orly's is, but I'd love to hear about how that journey has been for you working in a little bit more of a traditional space. So, uh, so I, I would say my path, as you say, helps to color your perspective on how you lead. And, you know, I grew up, uh, in Harlem at a time when Harlem was not as cool as it is today. It was not a wealthy place to be. My, I was in a single parent household. My mother didn't have a lot of money and she also struggled to put me through a, a top private school in the city. And so I was an outlier uh, pretty much everywhere I went through high school. I played tennis, which was not a place where a lot of black kids were in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I was going to an elite private school where I was one of a handful of black kids and definitely even most of the people of color did not have uh, had more wealth than I did. So I would, I would say socioeconomic diversity was even less than the uh, ethnic diversity in the school. And so just being forced to figure out how to fit in and, and be confident in myself and what I brought to the table. And I always tell stories about how I used to go to other kids' houses and I would be afraid to bring them to mine because I was embarrassed. Um, and ultimately it was my truest friends, uh, most of which were white, um, that insisted on coming over anyway because they were interested in who I was and they saw who I was as a person and not for, you know, what my parents did or the car I drove or any other of those trappings. And so that lesson has actually stuck with me throughout my life and all the places I've stood because you never really know about another person until you inquire and you ask proactive questions to understand what their journey is and where your level of connectivity is. And so you fast forward through all the places that I worked, as you said, are, are more traditional until I've gotten here. Um, along the way, it's always been about understanding who people are and you're not going to know that unless you ask the question. You cannot make assumptions about who people are just by looking at them. And so now in this seat at Vidya, I oversee finance and strategy, but I also work with Tim to oversee HR, uh, human capital. And we are constantly thinking about how can we proactively champion everyone in the company and make sure that we make it as inclusive and um, inclusive and in making sure that we ask about the little things that you may not know. So we're a younger company, but you know we need to make sure that most of our people are not parents, but we need to make sure that we're thinking about the things that parents might be thinking about. What, what can we do to make our, our role easier for single parents? What are we doing for people of all the different religious backgrounds? And so for a small company, I mean, these, things, these are things that large companies with thousands of people have whole teams to work on. 
Uh, but Sometimes as a company, still don't get it right. Yeah. But when you right. when you have sixty people, but at, with those sixty, if, if nobody is the same, we literally were debating the other you know, not that long ago how to manage our holiday calendar because where do you draw the line? Like, do you celebrate all the different ethnicities and and all the holidays? Um, what about you know Veterans Day? What about Disability Days? And so it's like trying to find a way to make it so that everybody feels like they are heard and 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 matter while also um, finding some common elements that you can uh, maintain productivity and, and, and still have everyone, uh, you know, working because uh, we could probably take every day off if we observed every holiday on the you know i love that that thought and you know i came from a corporate hr background before i joined marissa on the staffing side and when at my first job in hr i was at a pr agency and i have a, a slew of stories of how that place was not amazing for me but there's a lot of things that i learned there actually one of which was always have a notebook and i still do that um and every time anybody would call, you'd have your notebook on you. And it was like a standing joke that if you got called in for like your birthday cake, everyone's walking with their notebook and they're like, <laughs> happy birthday. Um, but so what I was going to say is um, we had something called floating holidays, which I remember at the time thinking like not much about because I was a young person and I was like, doesn't affect me. But years later, it's so interesting how important something like that was where we had like three extra days a year that we could take for any holiday that made a, an impact in our lives, right? So if we wanted to take it off on Yom Kippur because that was for us, then that's your day to take off. I also remember interviewing back in the day, actually Lauren would remember these PR agencies because that's her background too, um, who's sitting off camera. She, I went to an interview and I'll never ever forget it. They gave you your birthday off. And Marissa and I still to this day lead with, you don't have to work on your birthday. And I'm not working on my birthday, so no one else has to either. <laughs> right, totally. But I do think it's so interesting what you're saying about figuring out ways. I mean, this was 20 years ago yep. where a floating holiday was like a novel idea. But there's so many things now um, and trends, I think, in the workplace of how to make everyone feel included. But obviously, how many where do you draw that line? It's, so, it's such an interesting conversation. Yeah. Our conclusion was to have the federal holidays, but to have unlimited vacation days that and you could to take encourage for everybody mm -hmm. to be able to observe whatever is important to them. I love that. And so that, that was our solution. I love that. I even think, um, yeah, I think what you will even find is that just the fact that you've made that available, people might not take it, but knowing that it's there and their company cares enough to create that um, way um, works, you know. Bola, if you could talk a little bit about being in a leadership role with your background, just a little bit of how you've, what have you done for your firm to, you know, encourage more inclusivity? Yeah, I mean, so prior to joining Mancini, um, I was, you know, a mom with two, of two under two, I think. Yeah, I was, in, I was in school getting my second master's. And so I knew that if I was to make a shift, um, flexibility, family, caring for parents, right? Because that was where I was at that point in time. Um, caring for moms was pivotal to me. I needed to work somewhere that cared. I needed to, to be in a firm that um, valued 
the same things that I did, right? And there was alignment from there because I knew that um, if if firm leadership valued that, it will trickle down to the floor, to the employees. So even before I uh, accepted the role of my senior, I was like, yeah, 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 we can do the work. The work is, you know, finance, whatever. We'll get through it. But like, what exactly do you care about? And if I'm going to join you and become part of leadership or part of management, I need to make sure that um, there's an alignment there. And there was, right? So um, our president, Christian, also had two daughters. So that was, um, family was important to him. So upon joining, <laughs> immediately, um, I will say leading with courage, right? Because to lead with courage is also a radical act, right? Even before confidence, having the courage to speak up, having the courage to lead boldly, having the courage to be in the room where decisions are made and actually have your voice heard and then things implemented, um, was um, was was huge for me. So things like mother's room, right? We leadership before I came were three men. The owners were three men, and so you know we we have a lot of we have younger. Um, our employees are young, newly married, beginning to have kids, and it's like where are we going to? We had our first mom who was going on maternity leave. Where was she going to um, pump? <laughs> when she came back. Now imagine if I wasn't in the room. I love my I love my fellas, but they were going to put the room like right where, you know, um the floor might might hear the uh, 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 my mom's here, you know that, right? And so being able to be in the room to advocate uh for for better placement for for things like that or for for um I think I was fortunate that the, the framework was already there. So I only, me being there, becoming um, part of leadership, just only allowed us elevate what was already being done, right? They just, and, and, and nobody was going to argue. You guys know me, I'm firm. <laughs> but um, it's been, I've been so blessed, so fortunate to work in a place where we've, we truly care about um, trying to create a, a great work-life balance, integration, whatever that might look like in whatever season you are. Um, we are very accommodating when it comes to that. Whatever your needs are, our doors are wide open for you to come speak to us. And we are, um, as sites compensation, always thinking about these other things. So we have floating holidays. We do like a vacation um, stipend. So we want you to go on vacation, like take the time off. Again, when you provide these things, maybe not everybody takes it, but the employees really feel like, you know, that they're heard, that, um, you know, what they want is being included in policies um, in the firm. Um, all of those things, we try to make sure that uh, employees have access to this because what you find is they work better. They work better. They're committed to the vision, right? Because, because you're creating a place for them to feel yes, safe. Exactly. That's the word. What yeah. I, what, That's I'd love a, to, what I'd love to maybe segue to, to, to somebody like Orly, who does this for a living at her firm. What kind of advice could you give to someone who doesn't work at a place that they feel that way and they are don't aren't fortunate enough to work? Yeah, under because we're not the norm, right? Right. This we're is not, not the norm. And I want to work under Andre's leadership or Bola's leadership, and they're working somewhere right now where they're about to embark on their career journey, and they that's really important to them. How do they ask that question in an interview? How do they find out what the firm's doing without seeming needy? Like, do you have any thoughts on? A, how you're doing it at Commvault, but 
um, being that this is how you've made your, what you've made your career out of, how do you kind of, what advice do you have to that career seeker? To, to, to just tie our whole panel together, this is a great question for both Orly and for you to answer, right? Because if you think about it, there is a lot, there are a ton of people that don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. If you don't work for a major organization and you work for a small organization, the work is being done by the major organizations at the top and it's taking decades, right? To come from, my tennis mishap to being able to have a conversation like we this actually interviewed somebody yesterday. Right. Our our interview yesterday, we had a podcast episode with somebody by the name of Rob Smith. He's a very senior level folk uh, person in fashion, and he left his role and now started something called the Fluid Project. Fluid with a PH, um, which helping, means balance. Which means balance, helping those in the LGBTQAIA community. Um, to f- have a voice at work because even in a fashion industry, which you would think is fairly forward with their thinking, there's still so much room to grow. And he's made an, a complete career out of it, created a complete organization to help that. And all of you, I mean, he's amazing, amazing, like, you fascinating, watch him. amazing. But I, w- I would say that the two of you have such an interesting point of view. So it's like, you're doing this for a living, Right. And then for those for a of corporate us company, or Stephanie's company, doing this in a small way. She had to way. come up with her own. Yeah. yeah. She literally said, yeah. you know what? I need to create this myself for my child. So I'd love to hear actually from Go. both of you on that, Orly first, and then Stephanie about how you're, what advice you have for somebody like that, what you're doing at Convault. And then for you, what, how are you attracting that new employee? What are you doing to create this space for people? Because, you know, they're not maybe as... Um, they're not in a position to get a job with somebody like Bola. So I'd love to hear that from both of you, actually. Yeah. Those, those, those are great, phenomenal questions. And I love the conversation that we're having around this panel because, as you know, it is near and dear to everything that I do. Um, when I talk to people about what I do, the first thing I say is, when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. So I know we're going to get to that mantra piece at some point. That is my mantra. When you love what you do, it doesn't ever feel like work. And so doing what I do helps me to provide people the tools to understand what perhaps they don't see. And so I love it when I am interviewing someone and they ask me, so I see that at the executive level, there are no women or there are just two women. What is your organization doing to change the facet of that? And I see that the board is very male and stale or male and pale, right? And I love it. I love it. Male and stale. Male and pale. use that at home to my husband? Okay, I'm going to. Dave, you're male and stale. Yeah, male and stale or male and pale. And And pale. And I've had those questions. And I love it because I love the, I love the, opportunity to listen to someone who's probably of another generation, younger than me, being bold, courageous, and wanting to know right away what they want and how will this organization provide you imagine that? asking that question 20 years ago? Yeah. No. no. Like, I, I'm never. so nervous hearing it. There's never. so many things I right. coach people to ask now that yeah. I would never have coached myself to ask. That's a perfectly okay question to ask. Perfectly okay question. And I love it and I encourage it. I even encourage my team to have very bold questions and statements. As long as we're always respectful 
of who we're in the room with, it's important to bring your genuine self, not just to work, but to everything that we do, right? And so I always tell folks, if your organization does not have a inclusion and diversity, you know, initiative or program, there are ways that you can start it. Align yourself with the folks in the organization who have political clout in the organization. Pitch your ideas to create a group that aligns itself to mobilizing an initiative that is for underrepresented minorities, whether that would be women, black, Latinx, Native American, people with disabilities, LGBTQ+, veteran. The diversity strands are wide. You begin with one group, and then you begin to call the interests of people around the organization who start saying, well, they have a disabilities group. Why don't we start a women's group? Well, they have a women's group now. Why don't we start an LGBTQ group? Or why don't we start a black professionals group or a Latinx professionals group, right? Is there a pale man group? I'm sorry? Is there a pale man group? Male and sale group? There is not. (laughs) There is not. They had a group for a Um, long time. Yeah. They've always had a group. Yeah, they had a group. They they have always had a group, and they currently still have a group, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we need that group to also be our allies, right? So I say to folks, let's not always point the finger, and let's really look at this as an opportunity to build allyship, A community where we need those in power to help provide us the guidance to create opportunities and resources. So I loved when I was thinking about courage and I was thinking about inclusivity, right? So courage is that ability to do something that scares you. Mm -hmm. And I love that saying because I step into situations and meetings and conversations that scare me all the time. I'm a woman of color talking about Inclusion and diversity, it isn't always the most comfortable conversation to have. In fact, on the onset of social unrest in May of last year, I started a platform at my organization called Courageous Conversations, where what we do is we have a global conversation and we invite our senior leaders and employees to sit on one of our conversations and talk about a different diversity strand topic. We have talked about being black in America, being black at Commvault, We have talked about being allies to the LGBTQ plus community. We have talked about unconscious bias. We have talked about the Native American experience. We have talked about being Latinx. It it has been the most amazing, most empowering opportunity for me to use how the world is changing to be able to elevate a conversation that can oftentimes be very, very scary to have. And I think that when you have a passion, even if your organization may not quite know what to do or how to go, if you align yourself with the people in the organization who have power, who have clout, they will help guide you and help create those opportunities for you. And employee resource groups are the best way to do that. You begin with your employee resource groups. Once your employee resource groups are in place, they will also help you look at the company's policies and procedures, work with human resources, work with finance, work with all the divisions to really weave in what the vision and mission should be for an organization to be inclusive and diverse. I think that's great advice. I worked at CNN for many years. My corporate HR experience at Turner Broadcasting, we had a lot of employee resource groups. And um, I was one of the only recruiters in New York. The rest of my team was in Atlanta. And I, I think it's so important to remember that 
that HR is your friend, HR is your ally. If you don't have an HR person at your company, go to your office administrator, the um, executive assistant to the president, the person that has something to do with your benefits or your payroll, because likely that person is invested in the well-being and employee relations of the people there. So like a lot of the times we'll get that feedback where I don't have an HR person, I don't know who to ask. There's somebody at the company yeah. besides the president who is in it to win it with you. Yeah. You have to find that person yeah. and pitch your idea to them. And yeah. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, if you don't work at a company that has a 671 person HR team or whatever it is like I did, there is somebody that can be your ally at your company, no matter how small. Um, I love that advice. Okay. So Stephanie, obviously totally different perspective, but would love to hear from you. Like you, so you had this idea on a curb. And you've grown this during a pandemic. In McKinney, Texas, which obviously is a di <laughs> diverse place in comparison to where Correct. we are. Correct, yes. The anti-diverse place, right? I'd love to yeah. hear from you a little bit about how you've been able to build that, how you've been able to stick to your mission of employing those with intellectual um, disabilities, and also empowering through other work that you're doing, other companies to do the same. Well, that's one thing, your last point I wanted to ask. What you guys all do is amazing, and I love how you bring inclusion and diversity to, to the table. But one thing I have not heard from any of you is where are your groups for people, where are your employees with intellectual disabilities and how do I get them to your companies? Sure. Like that is something I have not heard. It's all, and I know everything is baby steps. We have them. You do? <laughs> we have them. You do? Yeah. Okay, good. But you didn't mention that in your group. So like I, you know, these are people that need jobs and are um, capable of anything, just like you and I are, except they just might need more time to do it. So when you're thinking about it, please consider, please consider hiring people with intellectual disabilities. But all right, getting back to your question. Wait, <laughs> I, but I think that what you're just, how passionate you just were just then, it, it just goes to show you from a mother, from mother to mother, okay? And we're all parents here. Your feelings are real. And you're advocating for your child. And then also years of seeing the lack of support for your journey. So you are, you are unsung and unsupported function of our world. And what you're doing to raise your voice and even being part of this conversation today, Stephanie, and being in the local papers and doing all the things is the beginning of leading for other people to feel brave to come up and do what you're doing and to, to challenge and or to speak and or perhaps meeting these folk today, you'll have an opportunity to engage or network with them going forward on how you can incorporate or help people organically and locally and then hopefully louder and further away. Actually, that's to, 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 to piggyback yeah. on that, that's what Rob, we talked about this with him yesterday as part of his organization. It first started as a store with genderless fashion and has since, you know, morphed into all these amazing initiatives, but one of which is the Fluid Projects. Um, I forget what they call it, where they actually go into organizations and partner, and with, partner people like with folks like these to figure it out. And how do you offer opportunity? And what do you need to be saying in a job description? How do you recruit those folks? What's the best place and to post the missing? job? And that's something, you know, just 
So small I know plug. you're not busy enough, but yeah. I, I've small just plug. written your next job description. Yeah. Small plug for to, to, for to connect with Rob Smith. We're going to have to figure someone um, else to make the chocolate bombs. Okay, but anyway, go ahead. Really great feedback, and I love that you are so passionate about it. And there are so many great opportunities now, it seems. And obviously, these three are three more than you had this morning of leads that you can talk to. Um, so go ahead, actually. Go ahead. Tell us about what you're doing at No Limits and how you're um, recruiting and how you're managing your staff and yeah. training them right now, So when especially we, in the pandemic. So when we started, we thought we would hire only 20 to 25 people with intellectual disabilities. But we interviewed 34 and we loved everybody. So we hired them all. So we have 34 employees with intellectual disabilities and we have three employees uh, that are neurotypical. And then there's me and I don't get paid. And then we use volunteers to help make it work. We have volunteer sign-up sheet every week and we have volunteers come in and assist our employees, the, the employees that need it. So we have these 34 employees. We had soft openings and we opened officially two and a half weeks before we had to shut down. So we were not known for our restaurant yet. People were coming for the mission. We weren't known for our food at the time. So we had to, we had to talk about, we had to figure out how to keep our employees engaged. So we did drive-bys to everybody's homes, to all 34 employees' homes. We uh, made our famous gluten-free bread pudding and gave, dropped it off to all their homes. We had, we start every day with a dance party at No Limits Cafe. So we had dance parties every Friday on Zoom for an hour. They would pick the songs and we would all dance. And um, so we, we tried really hard to keep them engaged. We wrote them all letters, you know, snail mail letters. And we just, we did everything we could because when we could finally reopen, everybody came back, which was great, except for one who is immune compromised. And uh, she'll be back when she can be. And um, we had to retrain. We had to retrain and we had to revamp ourselves completely because we were not known for our food. We had done one takeout order in two and a half weeks. We didn't even have takeout stuff. So we had to completely revamp our, our menu, everything. And we had to advertise big time on Facebook. So we'll use social media. And, um, and it was hard. It was hard, but it was fun. <laughs> even the, you know, hard can be fun. And the employees, you know, one term I always like is that many people have soft bigotry of low expectations where they think their employees or people with disabilities or anybody can't do something because they're not given the chance. And I myself, as a parent of a child with Down syndrome, had that as well. Like my daughter was lucky. She goes to a college program at George Mason University. It's called Mason Life. And um, it's for people with intellectual disabilities. And when we were sending her to college, I was like, oh my gosh, there's no way she can do this. She can't live on her own. She can't even do the laundry, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? She does it all. She can do it all. But I, I too had that soft bigotry of low expectations. So I did with our employees as well, I guess, because they have all risen so far above what I thought they could do. And so... We've revamped, we, everybody can't have the amount of hours that they want because we're only at 35% dining at this point in New Jersey. And um, we do now have a robust takeout business. We do a lot of offices and um, a lot of doctor's offices, pharmaceutical reps use us to cater to doctor's offices, which helps us immensely. And we received- we a were really on the good idea. Yeah. yeah. 
we were on the Tamron Hall show and we received a $30,000 grant from uh, Marcus Limonis, the prophet. And with this grant, it was, it's, it's brilliant. I, I wish I thought of it. Instead of giving us $30,000 as a donation, he, we feed 300 people a week that are um, dealing with food insecurity. And then we give him a bill every week. And so we have $30,000 worth of food that helps keep our employees employed and they get to learn new skills. We feed people dealing with food insecurity and our employees who are usually on the receiving end of gifts are getting to give back. And so it's just a beautiful thing. So the $30,000 is almost run out. So we're starting our own campaign now, um, which we're gonna post in the next week or so, to raise money so we can continue. Pretty sure you just got a lot of people this. that are gonna help you raise. Yeah, okay. I, I love hope that. so because it, the main thing is never mind keeping our employees employed and it helps keep us going during this time. How can we just stop feeding people? Like there's 300 meals a week. Like how can we just say, okay, we're done. And they're right here in our own backyard. They're all local senior citizens in Middletown. We do 83 of them twice a week. Uh, we through lunch break, we do, um, people, residents that live in a hotel and uh, they're homebound senior citizens. And we do um, a homeless shelter twice a week. Have you met our friends at Dermer Dreams? No. Have you met them? No. Okay. So after, after, after this, I have like several things that I can help you with. Okay. Um, Jamie and I can help you with that I, I'm looking forward to doing. So, yeah. But, so tell me then, what advice would you have then for somebody who might be listening, who has someone in their life that they love or they themselves struggle? Um, of getting a job and doing, you know, this type of work. I mean, you already have such a robust staff, so maybe you're not hiring specifically, but what advice do you have to people listening that might be interested in the kinds of work that you're providing to people? Okay, so I want to say this. We have a restaurant, right? And we have 34 adults with intellectual disabilities. How many of them do you think ever wanted to work in a restaurant? I bet not that many. Mm -hmm. Like my own daughter works here. She's on furlough for college for a year because of COVID. She never wanted to work in a restaurant. She wanted to work in a gym. But this is the only opportunity sure. for them. And people are dying for a job. So that being said, we get almost every single solitary day, seven days a week, a phone call, an email, or people come in asking for a job. I believe it. I mean, it's crazy. And I feel so badly. I wish we could so, do more. And all these people don't want to work in a restaurant, but it is the only thing available. Right now, you are you tapped into something, and I'm speaking for all of us. You tapped into something that was so large, right? So there's another woman that has also been on our podcast that I will also send you as well, who her name is Mindy Shire, and she, she started something called Run, Runway of Dreams for her child, an adapt, adaptable clothing, okay? Her child had special needs. She was a designer. He couldn't, he couldn't wear clothes and see a need, fill a need, right? So she ended up branching her business into also having an agency where people, instead of, for instance, one of my favorite shows, which actually probably changed the conversation a lot in the last 10 to 15 years was Glee. Mm -hmm. And ironically, on the cast of Glee, they had somebody in a wheelchair and that person mm -hmm. was not actually impaired. Correct. He's an actor. And the whole point would be to have somebody that was in a wheelchair be the person that got that part, right? right? That conversation. Um, courageous conversations. Courageous conversations. Just having the ability to mindfully recognize that this conversation is not being had. So if we can have it, people can feel safe. 
and if they feel safe, that we can be more unified, right? It doesn't mean that you don't, it's okay to be different, but it's also okay to feel safe about being different, right? right? And I think that was the second part. Anyway, I will also, as a PS to our conversation, shout out our friend Mindy and what she did and how her business ended up growing, not to give you homework while you're really, really busy right now, but you see what you're receiving. There's opportunity there. There's opportunity there. And people like us hear and see opportunity all the time. Like what you're on right now is you might be making lunch for people, but I think you're onto something bigger. Well, so our second phase is our phase two, which COVID keeps uh, putting off was we're only open for lunch. And in the evenings, we're going to be a training facility for others with intellectual disabilities that do not work at No Limits Cafe. And then prior to COVID, we have a community liaison, a volunteer that went around to all the other local restaurants. We know we have so many in, around here in Red Bank and Middletown. And many restauranteurs agreed to hire people that we trained. Amazing. So at least we could change, my husband calls it the multiplier effect, the unemployment rate, which is 80% for people with intellectual disabilities yeah. in this country, at least change it locally. But now with COVID, we had to postpone. It was supposed to start in September, then January, who knows when. And many of those restauranteurs have let so many people go. So we don't know what's going to happen. But the goal is that they'll hire people we train or tell us what they need and we'll train people for them and we'll continue with the support. Like we're not going to say, okay, we trained it, done and dusted, here you go. We will continue with support because that's what, if you hire people with intellectual disabilities, you might need help with questions and how to deal with people. And, you know, not that we're the experts, but we could lead, you know, them to the right places and, you know, help. You know, and, and what I'm hearing is, you know, I think what you're doing obviously is training them in restaurant jobs, correct? Correct. Um, and that most of these folks maybe wouldn't have necessarily wanted to work in a restaurant, but there's, again, not to give you homework, but there's a lot of opportunity here to think about what other trainings could people take at No Limits Cafe? Well, we do do, we, we, we would like to do outside of restaurants because we realize in doing this that so many of our employees are learning problem-solving skills, sure. time management skills, um, how to ask for help, all things that really would help in any job, not just, you know, not just how to use a knife or, you know, customer service or so many other things that could lead them to a different avenue than if they don't want to work in a restaurant. I love what you're doing. And I actually have a vivid memory. Marissa will remember this with me, that where we grew up, which is Northern Jersey in Bergen County, where there was a space um, of an assisted living home for those with intellectual disabilities called Spectrum for Living in yep. closer New Jersey. And they used to have a partnership with Burger King in our town. And everyone that worked at Burger King came from Spectrum within reason. All the folks in the back, all the people that were um, cleaning the, the restaurant and except for the cashiers. And then a couple of times they got promoted to cashier and it was like a known thing. I was a little kid and I noticed that and I thought that was incredible. And I think, you know, and this was 30 years ago and it's crazy to me that there's not more Maybe of a that. more than 30, Jamie. Don't round down. No, I was 10. I was 10. Listen, I'll be 40 in a week. Like I, I know my age. Um, this, this was 30 years ago because I was 10 and I remember it. Um, but I do, I do think what you're doing is so amazing and it is so incredible to me how much growth there still needs to be. We're the only restaurant that just opened that wants to close. So hopefully when your eight year old niece is 18 or 21, if she stays in school till then a place like this won't be needed because people will just be hiring you know, everybody with intellectual yeah, really beautiful what work you're doing. I love, love, love that. Um, I could talk about this all day. 
So just to, to kind of wrap, I mean, obviously you guys have all said such beautiful words about what you're doing as a person and a professional in your space. I'd love to hear from each of you, um, as Orly kind of already kind of um, shared with us, what your mantras are. Because one of the things that we believe as the dream catchers, but as recruiters and as career experts, is that we all get up every day and we have to say something to ourselves to keep going. Whether you have the exact words for what that is, maybe not. But um, if you have a mantra, because what you guys are all doing every day and your day jobs and your side hustles like you, Bola, or anyone else, you're so inspiring to us and to our listeners. So what inspires you? Like what keeps you going? So whether it's something that inspires you or something you say to yourself, I'd love to hear that from each of you of, of kind of what keeps you motivated. Andre, you could start. Um, so my mantra would probably be uh, live life so that I don't have any regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wraps up in a couple different things. Uh, you know, I know she spoke about making sure you're happy. And so mm-hmm. one side of that is obviously if you're happy, you're probably not going to have that many regrets. Um, it drives me to think about how hard I'm working at something. Don't leave any effort on the table. Don't have regrets about what about effort I put into something. Um, but also, you know, I've, I always said when I was on Wall Street, I didn't necessarily love the impact that I was making at work. I, quite honestly, I was just helping make wealthy people wealthier. But I took <laughs> the resources that I got from that job to have an impact outside of work. So I used my money and my skills to get involved in nonprofit organizations that I was in and to be on the board of things like the Harlem Junior Tennis Program, which I'm on the board of and Prep for Prep. And other things, be a mentor to kids trying to get into finance. And so find a way that even if I'm not happy with every single thing that I'm doing at work, find fulfillment in other parts I of my job. I love that advice. And, and so eventually, you know, after I left, I was able to get more fulfillment with what I was doing every day as well. Um, but again, find, find ways to make yourself happy and, and feed what ultimately makes you uh, fulfilled and satisfied as a person. I think that's really great advice for our listeners because often we we talk to folks about being happy at work and what does that mean? I mean, as you can imagine, Marissa and I are career counselors. It's not often people come to see us if they're happy at work. No, I, so, don't know if I've met, I don't know in 16 years of putting people to work if I've actually met someone happy. So what we try to do it's is hard. pull out the things that make you happy at work and yeah. highlight those things, right? But also if you're not finding that joy every day at work, how do you find that joy after hours, right? So during my hell years in PR, when I first started my career, which by the way, is not what I do now, obviously, I I started volunteering with an organization called Groove With Me in East Harlem, where I taught um, hip hop to girls that otherwise would not be able to go to dance class. And here I was like, you know, white and 23. And they're like, you're going to teach us hip hop. I'm like, Yes, I will, actually. Um, And it was probably my most fulfilling thing. And I always grew up as a dancer, and I always wanted to give back, and that's what I did throughout my 20s. So that wasn't my day job. But by the way, put that on your resume, because a lot of people are like, don't know that they should put that on. Um, Because I think that's wonderful advice. I mean, if you can't find the joy every day, how do you find the joy outside of your 9 to 5 and still feel fulfilled? I love that. Do you have a mantra, Bola? I know you probably do. You have so many. I have so many. (laughs) Um, I already shared with you one, so I'll leave that. My favorite is just do it. (laughs) But um, yeah, but I think I'll share two today. Um, First one being 
you know, keep doing a little after a little, and before you know it, a little becomes a lot, right? So we're all, we started with 34 um, in No Limits Cafe training. Before you know it, next year, who knows how many. Before we look back, it's going to be a lot, and you've made a dent in, you know, your community. Same thing for me with, like, the kids, with, with my nonprofit work or the things that I'm doing for women within the industry. It's just a little after a little. One conversation, one project, one you know, one act is affecting 218 kids in the school that we just built uh, through my nonprofit. Who knows what that ripple effect will be? So that's one. And the second one, I think, is, you know, when you get to to the end of your life, you want to just die empty, right? All this gift that we, we've that. all been die blessed empty. with, you know, what have we used it? What have we done with it during our time here? And you just want to make sure that when, when you, you take your last breath, right, you've really, you've, you've given, you've enjoyed your life, right? But like you've actually um, given back and loved others. So you've said two things today that are stored and I will give you street cred now. Okay. <laughs> I will officially be using the words die empty. Love die empty. Going forward. I also am going to use, I don't know if anyone heard this before, but she said all seasons. Yeah all seasons of your career or life, she said. And I was like, oh my God, love that. Like, love the, love word, the, seasons. Love the yeah. word seasons. Because it says so much. Thank you for sharing um, li- those linguist, linguistic. Some way, somehow. Yes. <laughs> word choices. Word choice because is so, so important. We I talk about that all the time. I do believe word choice is, is if, if there's anything I try to control as I lead, it's by utilizing my words to heal and empower other people. Um, and when I am not feeling my best, my word choice is less powerful. I think right? we can all relate to that in some yes. way, right? As parents or as leaders or employees, you realize that most conflict we've ever had in our entire lives is because of something either you said incorrectly or received sh- incorrectly. Yes. Word choice, so word choice is tremendous, super powerful. So thank you for those. And I love, love your word choice just now. Die empty okay. is, write it down here. You heard it here first. <laughs> Orly, what about you? You have I a mantra? Like a I know you talked about it a little I, already. I mentioned it a little bit. Yep. I believe that when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And when I left financial services, I felt a lot like what Andre said. I just, I felt empty. I didn't feel like I was giving something that was meaningful in my life. Mm. Um, and it wasn't about money. It really needed to be grounded around people and around opportunities and creating those opportunities a lot like what you were mentioning earlier. And, you know, that's basically what I'm doing every day is creating those opportunities in my organization, creating opportunities for people who have never had or don't have the resources to be able to land a job at Commvault, to be able to have a space at Commvault. And as a matter of fact, I just hired my first neurodiverse uh, intern onto my team. And he's been with us for three months as a manager that has been the most fulfilling opportunity because while I have helped and we started, we're starting a new disabilities group, which we call Abilities at Commvault, um, all of our ERGs are fairly new. And this is going to be our fifth ERG. And we're also working with an organization that called, that's called Creative Spirits. And they help us to be able to create a feeder program for us to hire neurodiverse uh, students 
and talent into the organization. So when I think about that kind of work, that's fulfilling to me, right? It's, it, it's helping other people. And this may not be the most glorious role, but to me is the thing that helps me get up every day with a smile and say, I love what I do. And I love what you said, Bola, about I want to die empty. I don't want to take all the great stuff that my creator gave to me to the grave. I don't. I've, there's so much more for me you to wanna, do and you give. Share your gifts and I want to share those with the world to help others. And that's what I love to do. And that's what I love about being in the position I'm in. But when I think about another thing to motivate me, um, I think if she can, she will. And if she will, she does. And that's exactly what I go through every day. Even when I have my most difficult moments, even when I am faced with folks who don't believe in this work, because as much as many people and many organizations will say, yeah, we need this, we need this. Mm. Lots of people do not believe in it. They're doing it because it's a check the box. I don't work from a check the box perspective. For me, it's about we're doing it because it is the right thing to do. And this is how the world is moving. And we deserve to be able to give everyone an equal opportunity. So it, that's, that's basically the, the, those are the two mantras that help move me. I love them. And you know what? And this is a good place to insert this just quickly for our listeners. Um, the first person to comment on our Facebook or Bellworks Facebook with all the mantras that our guests have said today wins a prize from our panelists. So I know no, no Limits Cafe gave us a prize. I didn't get a chance to peek in the bag, but I'm sure it'll be great. Um, we at the Dreamcatchers will contribute a couple of things and some of our other panelists might be able to throw something in. But anybody that is listening that comments in the comment section with the mantras that you heard today, which means you were listening and absorbing, will be entered to win that prize. And so you have to include Stephanie's and she didn't get to go yet. That's what I'm saying. That's I'm just inserting it before okay. Stephanie. Um Before we hear Stephanie's, I just want to remind everyone that we have a prize at stake. So definitely listen up. So Stephanie, do you have a mantra that you lead with every day? So not per se, but I have two things that I try to live my life with. So the first one really doesn't have anything to do with with what I do, but it has to do with words, with what you guys say. And it's my favorite book is The Four Agreements. I'm sure many of you have read it. And I like, and I try to, so then words don't hurt if you... What I do and say is about me. What you do and say is about you. So, you know, if you say something negative, like what you said before, words are powerful, um, but that's about you. So I won't take it. But if you do say something good, I'll take it. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But the one thing that does work-related, I always say to myself, okay, this is not about me because it's not. Like, I'm considerably older than everybody here, and I just started this new career you know, two years ago and um, from, or three years ago from when the thought process. So I always remember like this, honestly, this is uncomfortable for me. I don't love like public speaking, which I'm sure many people don't, but I kept telling myself, okay, it's not about me. It's to get the word out and to help, you know, people with intellectual disability. So that's how I do it. It's not about me. So, you know, you know, life doesn't happen until after you are comfort zone. And so I'm constantly out of my comfort zone with trying to push forward. Good I'm for not, you. I, I, I live my life today. as a follower. And yeah. I was comfortable in that role. And that's okay. And now I'm somewhat of a leader. And that's very uncomfortable for me. So well, you're doing a really good job. Yeah, I would yes. never know. Oh. I would never Look, know you, guys, you weren't you a leader. Cheers. Yeah. Oh, thank you. 
Well, I think, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think um, one of the most powerful things we all have, again, regular folks, is our voice, right? Our voice, our story. Nobody can tell it like you, you did, like you've done. Um, so it's always leaning into that uncomfortable feeling. It will pass, <laughs> and just use your. Well, we all need to just keep leaning into our voices. Somebody 100%. needs to hear it. Somebody does need to hear it, and that's why you were here, and you're meant to be here today. Um, so before we wrap, thank you all for sharing your stories and being so vulnerable with our audience. Um, we always like to end, before we ask our final question, is there anything that we should have asked you and didn't, meaning anything you wanted to make sure we spoke about, an initiative you have coming up, something you wanted to make sure is, quote, on air, feel free to use this time. Anybody have something that didn't get a chance to come out? That's coming up. I know you you mentioned so a couple of projects. That so are we're coming a nonprofit, up. and our website. Can I do that? <laughs> of course, <laughs> again, <laughs> is www.nolimitscafe.org. And we, like I said, we're starting our initiative to raise funds so we could um, help keep our employees um, employed and learning new skills, and to help feed our local friends and neighbors dealing with food insecurity. Love it. And I'm going to do the same Please, for my, up, for my nonprofit. So my nonprofit is called She Builds Lives, and we will be having two major projects this year, more to come. Um, one is for the school that we built. We usually have ongoing support. Um, the school actually just turned 12. So ongoing support to buy textbooks and um, actually build out our ICT lab back there so looking for support for that and then also in um an internally displaced camp uh we run a summer program but now we want to a summer after school program for the children who have pretty much been displaced from their homes and had to move to a different state so we're setting up uh, something called the two-thirds center learning center so that these kids can get after school help um from the schools that they're able to go to so we're going to be looking to build that uh so Please look out for those on our site. Our website is www.shebuildslives.org. And also follow us on social. Love it. Love it. I just have one other thing. So it just reminds everyone, we are currently in the very last couple of days of Black History Month. And it's so important to be able to raise the voices of our Black brothers and sisters and learning about the history of this amazing diaspora, right? And that also lends itself to wanting to, how do we contribute? What is the action that we should be taking behind it? So it isn't even so much about something that I'm passionate about or an organization, but it's how do we support Black-owned businesses as well? How do we support and mobilize and move the conversation? This is Black History Month. Let's not forget that. Let's support. Let's learn. Let's listen. And let's engage. Love it. Um, so I will put a quick plug on the nonprofit and then I'll also say some of the things that video is up to really quickly. Um, so on the nonprofit, uh, I sit on two boards. The Harlem Junior Tennis Program helps to expose young kids from Harlem and the surrounding neighborhoods to tennis and also provides them with academic support. Ultimately, not everyone's going to turn pro, but our goal is to get as many kids uh, off the streets and playing tennis and into college and getting uh, scholarships as possible. Um, and Prep for Prep is an organization that takes kids out of public school, puts them through boot camp, academic boot camp, and then puts them in some of the most elite uh, private and, uh, and, and boarding schools in the tri-state area. So 
those are two causes I've been very involved with and I was a beneficiary of, and so I'll give a plug to those. Um, as far as video is concerned, um, one initiative that everyone should be on the lookout for, uh, we just announced a partnership with a, a program called the Propel Center. Uh, they're based in Atlanta. Uh, they are looking to be a hub uh, for, uh, for training and development opportunities for all the historically black colleges and universities in the country. Uh, they have part, our, our other partners in the program include Apple, um, Southern Company, and they're bringing in Nike and a few other big companies. Uh, we are the music and technology partner for them. And so we'll have a number of initiatives where we are looking to uh, help both current students that are in school as well as alums um, be exposed to opportunities in music as well as entrepreneurialism. Um, and, and train them so that, again, back to the uh, to, to learning and supporting uh, young black students uh, in a systematic way, putting more leaders in music industry uh, leadership and technology leadership um, and make more voices, uh, more representation around the table than is currently the case. I love that. I'm exhausted. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know what to do first. Marissa and I are like on fire already. I can read her brain bubbles. Um, <laughs> this, this has been so enlightening for us. We've had a really incredible week of interviews that are all around the same topic. And that was by accident, but also on purpose. So thank you for, for indulging us. And just to wrap our favorite last question that we ask on every podcast is something that we even tell our new grads or career shifters or, um, folks that come into our offices, figuring out what makes you tick, right? Like, what is it that's giving you inspiration every day? And we frame that in, a, in an or, in organized way called the brand crush. And it's something that I actually am doing, um, a small plug for me, I guess. I'm doing a class next Thursday, the 4th, um, called the Brand Crush Project, which is really just navigating through um, companies that you would want to work for and how to get that job. And if not that particular company, but maybe a company that you are just super inspired by, that you learned about today. How do you get into these companies? So we call them our brand crushes because there's so many companies out there and brands out there. Currently, all of you are my brand crush. Um, Rob Smith yesterday was a huge crush of mine now, all of a sudden. Fluid Project, so into it. Um, tell us one thing that you would want to shout out, a company, a brand, a restaurant, anything that either has helped you survive the pandemic or and or is just something that you're just crushing on right now you think that is killing it in maybe this space in the inclusivity space but maybe not just a fun way to shout out somebody that you think is doing really good work we'll tag them on our social it's just a great way to spread good energy and light to companies out there that are doing great things would you like you're nodding because she's got some i could tell she's ready to rock she's like can i how many can i say <laughs> so the first company I'm going to plug is a um, online food delivery company that delivers Nigerian food oh. from Texas all across the U.S. They have saved my ass. Excuse me, I don't know <laughs> if I can say that. <laughs> During the pandemic, but it's called All I Do Is Cook U.S. I will I love send that. you the spelling. Um, they started just before the pandemic, I think, and they've actually exploded because so many Nigerians don't want to cook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, plus non-Nigerians, but you guys should try it. All I do is cook US, so shout out to them. And then the, the second plug I will give is um, 
a friend's company called Legally Set that helps, uh, that creates templates for creatives, uh, legal templates for creatives. So you can, whatever you need, you just go on there, download the template. Ah. Well, purchase and download the template. It's called Legally Set. Wait, we may need that. Yeah, I might yes, need that. They have all you kinds shouted of out someone last time that we ended up loving and using too. So she always has good recommendations. Yeah. Um, legally Set, I love that. So Cute like name. templates, yeah, templates right? for all sorts of like contracts and whatever yeah, you might need well, to draw online, up. Online business, whatever. I you need, love it. Whatever template um, you need, she has. It. I love that. Okay, Andre, you have any brand crush? Trying to think of a creative one that's a little more local. It doesn't need to be that. Well, it even could be in Bellworks. I mean, you're a Bellworks employee. This is your first time back in a while. Like you know you're gonna go for somewhere right now for lunch. Like yeah, I know you, I can feel you thinking about what you're eating. <laughs> We're all hungry. <laughs> I, I am food obsessed. I'll, I'll admit that. I mean, in the in the in the in Bellworks, I do like Mazaluna. I think they so do good. a great job with the food. Um, Honestly, I should have been better prepared for this one. I, I mean, I, and on the mantra and being a, an athlete, I've always been uh, inspired by Nike, quite honestly. I, I, did you just do it in the way that they support their athletes? And, and it's not just at the high level with the, the Tiger Woods and Serena Williams of the world, but I've actually seen a lot of the local community work that they do uh, at the home, your tennis program and in other places. Uh, it's a company that really does lean into uh, being global yet very local and being very impactful uh, in all the small communities and places that they can uh, that they can help. So that's always been some place I've looked up to. I actually did want to take a job there at one point, um, but we weren't willing to move across. Yeah, the you country. don't want to move to Portland. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to get one in New York. And the job, <laughs> the job that I wanted, um, they were like, "Yeah, you got to move to Oregon," get, yeah. and, and I, I wasn't willing to move my family. But it's a company I've always admired the way that they operate and the impact that they try to have. On, They're on really them. one of the best. They always have been. I love that. What about you, Orly? You have a brand crush? I have a feeling have you do. A few. Yeah. Um, so I will always crush on, of course, Commvault.com. We are doing amazing things, and we are really changing the facet of what the organization looks like. Um, so I will always encourage everyone who is looking for an opportunity into a tech company who is on the verge of doing amazing things, um, look us up. Uh, secondly, I would have to give a shout out to my local um, Mexican restaurant who held it down for me during the pandemic. They have the most amazing tacos in the entire Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. And um, they are an amazing, amazing restaurant. And they're called Estrellita Poblana. Um, they're just amazing. The best tacos in anywhere. And I've been to Mexico. And I've where never is had it? tacos. They're in the Bronx. So if you're, if you're familiar with the little Italy area of the Bronx, Fordham University, Fordham Prep, it's in that area. Botanical Gardens, amazing. So if you're ever in that area, support. They're a small uh, mom and pop shop. Amazing food. And then I would say, you know, Heath, the Heath Foundation. It is um, called Harlem Education Fund. Um, my son came through that program when he was really young. And um, they do amazing work with inner city school kids. And um, they help kids all the way from middle school into into college. So now they actually have a college program as well. And uh, the CEO of that organization, you know, helped me through being a single mom and raising my son in the Bronx. So they were amazing. I will always uh, shout them out. They do great work. 
Um, and then last but not least is a woman's organization that is doing phenomenal things. And perhaps, and they're an international organization, the Malala Fund. Um, they do great work. This Pakistani young woman started this fund um, to help raise awareness for bringing education to young girls in countries where getting an education, um, you know, at, at an early age isn't even thought of. And so we think that we're like in this, you know, 2021 pandemic world, yes, but we're also in a world where there are so many things that are still happening at a totally different pace in other parts of the world. And how do we support those? And I think the Malala Fund is doing an amazing job at reaching many countries. I love it. Thank you for that. Stephanie, crushing in anybody? Yes, I have two. Okay. Uh, one is an organization that I love. It's in Red Bank and it's called Steffi's Place. Mm, and it's sure. an organization that um, helps people dealing with grief in support groups and it's free to their clients. And it's an amazing, amazing asset to the community. And even like people going through divorce, there's groups for, because that is a loss as well, groups for them too. But it's amazing and run by amazing people. It's just beautiful. In a, in a hard time, it's a beautiful place to be. And um, my other one is completely self-serving. It's Pilates Blast in Red Bank. Mm. That helped Danny. Keep me, Danny, yes. That helped keep me going during the pandemic. They did so many online things, which I could only get through a little bit of it. But they have this great class here called the Megaformer. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I like It's 40 minutes of the hardest workout I've ever done in my entire life. But it's so good. It's a great place. It's beautiful. It's clean. And it's all socially distanced appropriately during COVID as well. So Marissa is a big Pilates class I do, fan. and I love it there. I do and too. I miss it. I miss it a lot. And I've tried to do some of the online stuff I really have. It's hard. I um, admit, admit online was everything about me is different <laughs> with this year. So uh, everything about everything all of us about is, different. Me is different. So what, but, I mean, I'm still me, but like the things that you would normally think I would be able to do, I like can't do it all. Like the secrets come out. <laughs> so for some reason, doing something that I love for it, it like it made me like, and I said, I shared this with Danny. I love them and I spread their name everywhere I can, but it was like emotional for me. To it was like a trigger. Was a trigger. You couldn't, you couldn't so I wanted connect. to do something I loved and I couldn't do it the way I wanted to. It hurt me. And then I couldn't function. So sorry for that. Was not the way I wanted to end. <laughs> I want to take that back. And on Put that, that note, see you next month. Yeah. No, um, sorry. <laughs> anyway, but I love Danny. That was the point. We love um, Danny. Whoops. Me too. That, those are some really great points. And honestly, we could obviously talk all day, but thank you so much for being here. You guys It's such important conversations, probably one of our longest. And I'm happy that it was because I think everything that you guys all were saying is just so important for our audience to hear in different ways from different perspectives. So thank you for being here with us, shining light on a topic that is still dim, which is unfortunate. Um, but with worker, like people like you guys working on, on behalf of this area, I think that we can start turning people's lights on, which is something that Marissa and I are really passionate about doing. So thank you for being here. Thank you to Ming and Share Universe and the team at MPZ Design for bringing us in here to Bellworks today. And um, don't forget about our contest. Anybody that po you know posts on the bottom of our feed or the Bellworks feed with all the mantras that these beautiful people have said today will win a prize from our panelists. So thank you for being here today. Thank you, Ming. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.